The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Well, good morning, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwynn, always with Lana in your radio. A delicious Sunday to you. Are you a food enthusiast? Well, we're going to make you a culinary genius. Stay tuned. This show brings you fresh ingredients, recipes, and kitchen wisdom from celebrity chefs, authors, and culinary experts. This is true culinary exploration. We're bringing you an arsenal of inspiring ideas for savory and sweet dishes. And we hope that the new website completely revamped at chefjamie.com and this show are a treasure trove of inspiration. There's nowhere else I'd rather be on a Sunday morning than live with you on KFWB News Talk 980. Unfortunately, Lana is a bit under the weather this Sunday, but she will be back with us next Sunday. And I'm sending her love and good wishes, of course. We just returned from the pleasure and the privilege of Oceana's Marina cruise ship. Our Baltic cruise was quite extraordinary. Amazing to see the world, to eat herring in so many countries, and for me to cook on board Bon Appetit's Culinary Center, the only cooking school at sea with floor-to-ceiling glass windows. As you cruise the ocean, you get to learn the best culinary secrets. And we had a wonderful group of friends, both new and old, and our stories and our food memories will follow in the weeks to come, so please do stay tuned. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen, where you'll see a complete recap of our almost two weeks abroad and all of the truly incredible, delectably delicious things that we ate. I think Lana and I would agree, if she, would hear, if she were here, she would tell you, um, that our one of our most favorite things was at a, a patisserie, a, a little bakery, a, a beautiful bread shop, in fact, in uh, in Stockholm, Sweden, where the bread baker and pastry chef makes a signature macaroon, and you see it in a few places in Sweden in the top bakeries, where the coconut macaroon is um, a traditional sort of more like an amaretti cookie style, but soft, that's covered in chocolate buttercream and then enrobed in chocolate ganache. It might be one of the most delicious sweet things you've ever had, and uh, those that we brought back we already ate. So sorry, but we plan to go back and enjoy more and those culinary memories of course will be here in your radio in the weeks to come we're always serving up seconds on the newly revamped chefjamie.com with recipe inspiration cocktails videos and more and we'd love to know what you think you can always email us at live l-i-v-e at chefjamie.com on the website every week we hope to make you a better cook in your own kitchen and this week's technique of the week is all about oysters 101 We are great oyster lovers in this family. I think it might just be the ocean's tastiest 
bivalve. And of course, you can roast, you could bake, fry, or even broil them. But I think slurping oysters fresh from the sea is the best way to enjoy them at their peak freshness. So we've posted some of our best tips on how to buy, how to shuck, and how to eat them. And I thought I would share with you um, some of my favorite ways to serve oysters at home. Now, shucking is a true talent. And if you're planning to have an oyster party, I have listed step-by-step instructions that start with first how to scrub the oysters thoroughly with a stiff brush under cold running water to how to pry off the lids by sliding your oyster knife along the bottom shell to loosen the oyster completely without losing all that beautiful oyster liquor. So here are a few of our best tips. You always want to buy oysters that have closed shells, tightly closed, and they should be deep cupped and evenly shaped. And you always want to buy them from certified waters. So you can always ask your fishmonger to let you see the shellfish tags. And you only buy fresh oysters, by the way. Oysters really no longer have a season. You know, we used to count by the months that ended in R, but since cultivation methods have changed so much so over the years, oysters are really good every month. But there's something about the fall season when the waters start to turn cooler that we find the sweetest, briniest, most deliciously plump oysters. So right about now is the time that we really love to indulge. Now, if you're bringing oysters home, it's best to store them in a shower pan covered with a moist towel. I like to put ice on the bottom so that the oysters are sitting on ice in the bowl or a pan covered with the towel and then placed in the refrigerator. And you don't want to keep them more than 24 hours before you shuck them yourself if you're planning to have an oyster party. Oh, what is the best pairing, you ask? Well, of course, we need the appropriate cocktail or sipper to go along with oysters. And what Lana and I love uh, to drink most often is champagne. There's something about the beauty of the bubbles that complements the brininess of the oyster, cuts through the salinity. And it doesn't have to be French champagne. It could be a cava from Spain or Prosecco, even better, from Italy. Um, It could be dry or sweet. Um, Also, if you're a beer lover, I will tell you, a pale ale is considered Considered a great compliment, but even better, open up a stout, shuck some oysters and indulge because I will say it is an extraordinary food and wine pairing that might just take your palate to new levels. If you're looking for wine pairings for your favorite oysters, if you're eating raw oysters and they have a little bit of heat, I would definitely go for uh, probably a a dry acidic white, like a San Gimiano, um, something from Italy. You could go French Chenin Blanc if you'd like. Um, And if you're eating fried oysters, not the raw style, but fried. I like a little bit of acidity balanced with some sweetness, um, like uh, uh, a sweet vouvray or what we call off dry. Maybe a, a green olive relish goes with those fried oysters. Or maybe, as I mentioned, you're a beer lover. So you're thinking that you might make my Guinness fried oysters posted at chefjamie.com. You actually marinate the oysters in a cup of beer for about a half hour. And then you make a simple batter 
you wouldn't want to waste the rest of the beer, right? With the Guinness, some flour, some cayenne, salt and pepper. And the batter rests for 10 minutes as well as uh, all great fry batters and crepe batters, by the way, should. And then you deep fry the oysters. Those are pretty delicious too. I mentioned a little earlier about the oyster liquor. Um, When a fresh oyster is masterfully shucked. There's this pool of clear liquid that remains with the oyster in the bottom half shell. It's actually filtered seawater in which the oyster lives in, and it holds a robust amount of flavor. So you always want to sip the liquid before, after, in between. It doesn't matter, but savor it because it's truly one of the best parts, I think, of a raw and freshly shucked oyster. If you're looking for some ideas on how to taste, please do check out the website at chefjamie.com. I've listed criteria and characteristics as to the appearance, the sweetness, the texture, the flavors, even the umami. We talk about that new sense very often, the overall yumminess associated uh, usually with something that has some fat content to it. So that is everything you need to know about indulging in oysters this month and in the months and years to come. You can find, uh, of course, East Coast and West Coast oysters. And just to mention to you uh, a couple of our favorites from the West Coast are Kumamoto and Kushi. If you're eating from the East Coast, look for Blue Points and Bellins. And then, of course, all of the wonderful farm-raised fish today does include oysters and mussels. And some of the farm-raised oysters, I think, are quite delicious. Sort of like an heirloom tomato. You get the best of both worlds. If you're making a simple mignonette, by the way, that's a red wine vinegar or rice wine vinegar with a little bit of shallot and horseradish. And, of course, a little bit of black cracked pepper. Why not throw in a diced Granny Smith apple? That'll take it to new heights. And then if you love a Japanese style, top your oysters with a combination of sour cream and wasabi paste. Or if you're uh, thinking of, uh, let's say, uh, the American style, you could always go uh, tomato, avocado, little lime juice. Tabasco. Well, why not? We are all American here and we're sharing delicious dishes and inspiring you with informative, entertaining and uh, delicious culinary information that abounds. I hope you just had a moment of culinary nirvana. I've never wanted an oyster for breakfast so much as I do right now. Uh, You'll find the recipe of the week posted as well. It's an eggplant pizza. And if you're a gluten-free eater, a kiddo or a paleo dieter, I hope you'll love my mini pizza creation. It's actually made on eggplant slices that can be either grilled or baked, so there is no dough. You blend a few cheeses, your favorites. Uh, I happen to love Asiago combined with mozzarella and Parmigiano-Reggiano or Grana Padana. You could use crumbled goat cheese. If Lana were here, that's what she would use on top of a good uh, melting cheese, of course. And then uh, all your favorite toppings. And essentially, you bake or uh, grill the eggplant slices until they're tender and then you top them with sauce and cheese and toppings and you have an entirely vegetarian meatless Monday which I think is perfect to give back to the environment a great way to make the world a better place Uh, if you're cooking for fall and for football we're starting to think about the changing of the seasons and heartier comfort food and braises and roasts and one pot meals that are perfect for busy school season Lana's cook with Lana recipe of the week is perfect for football fanatics and if you love 
the flavors of rosemary and nobody I, I know doesn't love a peanut with a cocktail, right? Because there's nothing better than nuts and cocktails combined. The salty, crunchy texture of good cocktail nuts. Um, and then a little lemon zest thrown in is Lana's secret. Perfect for your next football get together. Her rosemary peanuts with lemon zest are posted at chefjamie.com. We have some great guests this hour. In fact, coming up, you wouldn't want to miss John McLemore. He has written two cookbooks, in fact, his most recent called Dadgum, That's Good Too. And he is all about smoking and frying, and he's sharing his best tips. Plus, his four cheese smoked mac and cheese recipe is posted on the website. And by the way, it's truly killer. Also, bread baker Dean Kim is coming up of OC Baking Company in Southern California, and he's sharing his yeasty secrets. Plus, you'll hear from Chef Lynn Gigliotto. She's the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, professor and culinary instructor, my alma mater, and she's cooking Mediterranean, so you'll want to stay tuned. You know, we talk about traveling a lot on this radio show. We're all about lifestyle, about making each day more scrumptious, and we talk about our travels, where we go to eat, uh, and all of the wonderful experiences, and we love to hear about yours, too. But there are some serious food fads that are worth traveling for. Uh, We're always hot on on the trail of the food trends that inspire people to stand in a long line or, uh, you know, resort to the black market for a chance at a taste. If you've ever waited in line for a food truck, you know what I mean. Well, the cronut has reigned supreme lately in the world of fanciful food fads, right? Um, all other food fads are measuring themselves against the breakout popularity of the cronut. It's the donut made with croissant dough um, at Dominique and Sells Bakery in New York City. And people in or very long waits, and at $5 a cronut, you're limited to just two. You've heard all about it. Um, we haven't had one yet, but I'm thinking of taking the red eye to get there. Uh, I'm going to wait for Lana uh, to be in a perfect shape, and then maybe we'll make our way and bring you one back. But have you heard about the crookie? Oh, yes, that's right. It's part cookie, part croissant. You can find the crookie made by packing crushed Oreos into croissant dough at Toronto's Clifudi Patisserie and Cafe. Uh, Supposedly, uh, the reviewers call the crookie heavenly. It's like eating a chocolate croissant, but a gajillion times better, I understand. And I actually get uh, to Toronto, Canada often, uh, the privilege of working with Emerald Lagasse. And so trust me, I will have a crookie sometime soon. Uh, If you have had one or you're planning on one too, please let us know. You can always email us at live at chefjamie.com. We're loading your plates with ideas and recipes and tips that are easy to make and hard not to love. So stay tuned. There's more delicious conversation in your radio chef jamie gwen always along with lana and missing her this morning back with you next sunday she will be but you stay with us there's a whole hour of delicious conversation right after this don't go away welcome back chef jamie gwen along with lana in your radio teaching you all the right moves from kitchens across the country to yours as an artisan baker This craftsman works with flour, water, and salt rather than clay, stone, or paint. And whether it's a soft white sandwich loaf, a crusty sourdough, or a rich brioche, I think we'd all agree that fresh homemade bread is truly a culinary gift. 
but many cooks, even great experienced ones, find bread baking intimidating. If you think bread baking at home is beyond you, well, then this will make you reconsider. You're going to master a few bread baking skills right here and right now. This gentleman is a master baker, and he produces some of the best bread I've ever had. It has a gorgeous crust and a spongy, light interior, and his full-of-flavor rolls and loaves have taken Orange County, California by storm. He is Dean Kin, the award-winning executive artisan baker of OC Baking Company, and he joins us live. Dean, we're very glad to have you. Welcome, Chef. Thank you so much. Yes, of course. Okay, talk to us about bread baking, because as you and I have talked about in the past, there's really a beautiful art to it, and one that you can master, but it's very feasible at home. Tell us how you started baking. Well, I started baking in the Bay Area. It was a strange situation. I worked in offices and things like that, but I never really got to work in a really baking sense, but I really fell in love with it because I I like creating things, and just what you could do with flour, water, yeast, and salt, it's amazing, those major components in bread. When I started in the Bay Area, I I really fell in love with Acme and Metropolis Baking Company and all those great berry of breads and the sourdoughs, and it, it just fascinated me. Well, that fascination turned into a passion. And oh, yeah, definitely. We would love if you would walk us through the entire process, from uh, kneading through proofing to baking. You've shared a recipe with us, which we've posted at chefjamie.com, so you can follow along as we learn to master petit pan, or the little sweet French breads that we all love and buy in the supermarket and layer with cheese and charcuterie, and there's really nothing better. Um, But it starts with three primary ingredients, flour, liquid of some sort, and yeast, right, Dean? And it's all about measuring, and in the baking world specifically, weighing is preferable, correct? Definitely. Okay, so talk about your scale. I think the difference from Cooking at home and baking at home is a little different. And what I want to emphasize with a lot of people is bakers really go by a baker's percentage. And just remember, the easiest thing is flour is always 100% of the recipe. So what I showed you today was um, bread flour is one pound, 11 and one half ounce, and that's 100% of the baking percentage. Okay. And water is two and two-thirds ounces, and that's 65% of the hydration you need for that bread loaf. Yeast is 2%, salt is 2%, and that's a half ounce. And butter is 2%, and that's unsalted butter, and that's a half ounce. All those components put together really match well. And this is a simple dough. You could use it for pizzas, you could use it for making little dinner rolls, or you can make a loaf um, out of this recipe. And can you do it in your bread machine? I think so many of us have come to rely on appliances for home cooking because they make life simpler and easier. And I would hope and love to know if an artisan baker like you believes we can take a shortcut. I think bread machines are great myself. And in fact, I think I have one in storage. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's great, but you know, now I have a huge bakery and I get to play whenever I want to, so it, I really don't use it much. But a bread machine is great for a lot of people who just are scared and are intimidated by dough. Because the bread machine pretty much does all the work. This recipe should work really well with a bread machine. Oh, that's fabulous. And you know, you could always add grains to it. You could add some wheat flour to it, put a little texture in it. 
I mean, bread is not a really guaranteed science. It's up to the person, you know, what you like to do with the bread and what you want to achieve in that loaf of bread. And Dean, if I'd like to add some honey to it, how much honey would I add? I would add as little honey as possible, just a little touch. But like I said, it's always trial and error. And even me as a baker, it's always trial and error for me. I may add a teaspoon to a tablespoon in the beginning, but maybe I want some more sweetness. But if you manipulate your flour correctly, you're going to get a lot of sweetness on the back end because you're trying to extract as much of that wheat kernel as possible. And wheat is naturally sweet. I love the idea of the inherent sweetness that you actually create in the bread process. Once the ingredients have been measured, the dough has to be kneaded. And that's all about strengthening the gluten in the dough. If you're using a bread machine, the machine does the work for you. If you're doing it by hand, do you work on any cool surface, preferably a marble slab, if you have uh, a kitchen counter area? Any tips there? I think you should start off in a bowl, a glass bowl or a metal bowl. Okay. So the mess factor, you don't get flour all over the place. Right. And try using the bowl with with your heel of your hand and knead it against the bowl. What you're trying to do is develop the gluten. Another trick is, you know, a lot of people are so fixated on working that dough to death. Why not incorporate it just a little, knead it a little, let it stand, let the dough work itself, and then knead it again. That way you're really not working out and, you you know, (laughs) it's not that difficult. It's an easy process, you know, and... Let, let the dough, and a lot of people ask me how I do my bread, and I, and a lot of people ask me what troubleshooting. A lot of the times it's the hydration. I like adding more water to my bread because it's more pliable, it's easier to knead, and remember, every time you divide that bread, every time you re-round that bread, you're kneading it again. You're knocking out all the gases, and you're letting it re-proof some more and develop more gases internally in that loaf of bread. How about starting with a starter, a sourdough starter, shall we say? Well, a sourdough starter is the basis of a lot of breads, like sourdoughs and uh, levons and things like that. And that's just uh, basically, um, that's totally different than the recipe I gave you, but that's a natural leavening and it proofs the bread totally different. And For a sour starter or a natural starter like that, I like letting the fermentation go as long as possible, 48 hours if possible, if you could do it. Do you keep a starter for a long time? I'll never forget, Dean, when I first was brought to New Orleans, I was training in Emeril's restaurants to work with him, and it was a Sunday, and I was with Chef Chris Wilson, and it was a day off, and I remember him saying to me, we have to go to the restaurant. We were going out for lunch or something. And I said, okay, why? And he said, I have to feed my starter. He kept a sourdough starter that just constantly grew and that he used every day in the restaurant for bread baking. And it was constantly every day needing its upkeep and needing to be fed. It was one of the most extraordinary flavor enhancers I've ever experienced. I have to say, I have a starter, too. It's over 20 years old, and I feed it every day. Wow. Two times a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And, like, even having a starter or being in our industry in culinary is a huge commitment. And I make sure the starter, I check the starter every morning because 
that's my backbone of my bakery. Right. That's your baby. Yeah. Uh, talk yeah. to us about baking, if you would. The goal of baking is to gelatinize or cook the dough so that you get volume and crust. Yeah. And in the recipe yeah. that you've given us, I think that's a fabulous way to create steam. You actually put a cup of ice into a hot pan that's been preheated in the oven at 470 degrees, and you place the rolls right on top of the ice? Well, I place the rolls on top of the rack above the ice. Okay. It's a steam bath. It's very unique in a sense. You put the rolls in, close the door, and let the heat do its work. And you're going to see an oven jump. You're going to see those rolls just jump up with the steam. And what that's going to do is enable the bread to proof really fast, raise, and it's also going to kind of give it a nice glaze around the bread. It's not going to dry it out any. It's going to make it nice and crusty. Do you get a the, better uh, crust? Of that is the crust different? Is it better? I like it better. It's more visually appealing. It looks better. It lets the bread really mature in that oven perfectly. Okay, well, just for the record, you have the best crust of anybody I know. We just actually partook in some of Dean's rolls mm-hmm. at a recent dinner. Was it cranberry walnut, chef? Yes, it was a cranberry oh. walnut, and I did use a natural starter for that. I used the 20-year-old starter. And the olive rolls, too, with the incredible crust and the briny mm. flavor of the olive that infused through the bread spectacular it could have just been dinner yes <laughs> bread butter and wine uh-huh. sounds good to me you you do Thank make you. beautiful bread dean and we love that you've shared a recipe because once you master this one then you continue to build upon your bread knowledge you know i advise everyone to keep on baking it's just fun you know and i told all my culinary friends i go God, sometimes i can't believe i get paid for this <laughs> this is crazy that's because you create such great magic that, that you do. He is the award-winning executive artisan baker and owner of OC Baking Company. He is Dean Kim, and he's been baking handcrafted breads for Southern California's leading hotels and restaurants for nearly 18 years. He does sell wholesale, but you can read more about him and learn more about him at OC Baking Co. Dot com And if you are in the Southern California area, you can find him at the Homegrown Farmer's Market in Orange, California, offering some of the best crusts you'll ever have. Dean, thank you for the tutorial. We're all going to be better bread makers because of you. We appreciate you sharing your passion. Thank you so much, Dean. Yes, of course. As the delicious conversation continues, don't touch your dial. Guaranteed to make you hungry once again right after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio as the delicious conversation continues. Let's get this party started. With equal parts of Southern charm and tenacity, John McLemore has traveled the world to show you how to make dadgum good food together at home. Yes, we said dadgum. That's good. That is his best-selling first cookbook, and the second has just released, Dadgum, That's Good Too. And he's smoking and frying and grilling with family and friends. Is there anything that can't be smoked? I think not. John is here live with us to put some smoke into your tailgate party this year and to seriously smoke the competition. He is the owner, president, and CEO of Master Built Manufacturing and the author of the best-selling cookbooks. And his 
family history has brought extraordinary smokers to great cooks, homes, and backyards for so many years. He's sharing with us his best recipes for great Southern barbecue. And we're so delighted that you're here, John. Welcome to the show. Jamie, it is great (laughs) to be with you. And if there's anything I love to talk about, is good food. <laughs> yes, we know that you're all about good food. Is there anything that can't be smoked in a master built? You know, I get asked that question a lot, and I don't think so because if you can think of a traditional recipe, doesn't really matter what it is, you can add a little smoke flavor to it, whether it's vegetables, whether it's mac and cheese. Um, we smoke pimento cheese and obviously your traditional barbecues from ribs, pulled pork, sliders, lamb, you name it. Yes, I believe you can smoke it. Yeah, definitely so. I will say in the book, Lana, the smoked corn chowder and the smoked mac and cheese were, I will say, the two recipes that caught me off guard because I can only fantasize about that smoke flavor infusing into the dishes. Mm. Uh, Talk to us, if you would, start off, John, with your woods of choice based on protein, let's say. It depends on what you're cooking, and the most popular is always going to be hickory and mesquite. Not only is it easy to find at just about any retailer, any grocery store, that sometimes makes it the number one seller because it's so readily available. But if you're going to do fish, you know, I recommend an alder wood. Mm-hmm. You're wanting something that's going to give you uh, a little bit more of a sweet, mild flavor. I recommend apple, also cherry. Mm-hmm. And if you want to really get something that's different and unique, get some pecan wood. Um, and that really goes good with just about anything that you can imagine. And then there's also different types of chips, chunks, logs, or pellets. And in the Masterbuilt Smoker, we recommend chips because you're only using a small handful of wood to get really great smoke-infused flavor. Okay, so talk about your smokers a little bit, because we've seen your success on QVC, and we're delighted with the long history that you have, of course, had a, a family legacy of with Masterbuilt. And I, I was sort of um, salivating over your website at dadgumthatsgood.com when I was clicking through to Masterbuilt and wondering which smoker I would choose. But this is a smoker yes, that this is a smoker that's completely portable it's small it's powerful it does it all Uh, it's the same flavor you know that fabulous flavor of great barbecue aficionados but it's it's really perfect for any home cook it is and what people love about the masterbuilt smoker is it takes all of the guesswork out it takes all of the hassle out and it takes that intimidation factor out People want to smoke, but they think, I just don't want to have to fool with it because I've got to soak the wood, I've got to worry about the charcoal, I've got to worry about the temperature, the amount of smoke. But if you can use your oven, you can use the Masterbuilt Smoker because they come with a digital control panel or an analog control panel, which is so easy to use. You set the temperature, you set the time, and it basically does all of the work for you. You unload a side wood chip loader, put in a small wood, a handful of wood chips. You get great smoke-infused flavor, mm-hmm. but you don't overpower the food. For example, if you're going to smoke vegetables, 
you need to only add a hint of smoke because if you oversmoke the vegetables, they'll turn out bitter. Right. If you're doing pork butt and ribs and maybe hamburgers, I've got a great stuffed hamburger recipe. You can pour as much smoke to it as you want because it doesn't overpower with flavor. You just get a good smoky flavor. Yeah, I'm having a culinary fantasy right now, John, of smoking mushrooms <laughs> in a master built. And I can, oh. oh, yeah, just that permeating, beautiful smoke. It's hot smoke as well, right? It, it's using the method of heat to smoke, not yeah. cold smoking. Well, we actually do both. Uh, most of what we do with our electric smokers, and we do have gas and charcoal as well with the Masterbuilt brand, but our number one sellers are the electric, and all of the heat comes from the electric element, and the flavor comes from adding the wood chips. But if you are a cold smoker type of a person, we do have an attachment that you can put on the Masterbuilt unit that will allow you to cold smoke as low as 100 degrees wow. or less so that you can do beef jerky. You can, If you want to smoke cheese, you can. So really it depends on what your preference is. And then if you want to have long, continuous smoke, the cold smoker is not only great for cold smoking, but it can be used also for heat smoking, just giving you eight hours of constant smoke if you want a really powerful smoky flavor. Okay, you're my smoker idol. <laughs> no, he's I mine. Like no, he's I'm... smoker idol. Yes. I, I like that. <laughs> I've just given you a new title. Talk about Governor Huckabee and your connection, please, because uh, there's a smoked tenderloin in the book. Um, lots of there really good peppery flavor, and I love that you're using apple wood there. Yeah, and, and one thing that I will say, I just, in the past two days, had a conversation with Huckabee on the phone, and... Um, Great friend, met him through Fox. He has not only shared some great recipes with us, but Governor Huckabee loves, loves the Masterville products. I met Governor Huckabee at Fox and Friends when we were up there deep frying turkeys, and uh, he was extremely nice to my son, Jay Mack. He was up there in New York with me, and uh, he loved the deep fried turkey. We, you know, struck up a friendship, so I just in a conversation with him, I said, what is the recipe that you would like to share? Um, and I'll, if, with your permission, name it in the cookbook and give you credit for it. And that and was it. Great. That was it. Love so it. He shared the recipe, and uh, that's really where some of our recipes have come from, ladies, is people that we've met along the tour and going in and out of stations and doing radio interviews like we're doing with you guys today. If they'll share a recipe with us, when I write, uh, in the process of writing book three, as we speak, we love sharing other recipes, and Governor Huckabee was gracious to share his tenderloin, and it turned out to be that damn good. We love Christie's smoked pimento cheese appetizer as well, and with Ooh. about a minute left, just talk to us about smoke and cheese. We do smoked macaroni and cheese. You can do regular smoked cheese. So when you think about pimento cheese, and you can take sharp cheddar cheese, Kobe Jack cheese, cream cheese, and blend all of that together oh, with some pimentos good? and put it in a little disposable tray and for about 20 to 30 minutes add a little hint of smoked flavor to it. Mm -hmm. It changes the flavor of the pimento cheese 
But to really finish that recipe off, smoke you up, turn the page, and you'll see the pimento cheese appetizer. You take a saltine cracker, you put a spoonful of that pimento cheese on the cracker, a slice of kielbasa sausage, and a jalapeno pepper, and that is as close to heaven as you could possibly get. That's perfect. The only thing I would change is I'd put it on a Ritz cracker. I was raised oh, on Ritz and, crackers with pimento cheese. <laughs> and uh, bagel chips are good as well. Okay, we now you've got all three of us sitting down to an appetizer, yes. John. You are truly a Southern gentleman, and we are delighted well. with your success. We know that Masterbuilt will continue for generations to come. Your son has done an extraordinary job with the website at dadgumthatsgood.com. There are dozens of recipes excerpted from John's cookbooks and you can learn more about learning to smoke like a pro as well using Masterbuilt which I'm looking forward to mastering myself the new book just released is John McLemore's Dadgum That's Good Too that's their term for darn good food that's even better (laughs) and there are more books to come we know for smoking frying and grilling with family and friends it was a pleasure to catch up with you john we know that uh, tailgating just got better from the infusion of master built and smoke well ladies it was a pleasure and anytime you want to talk about food all you got (laughs) to do is call john mclemore you got it we'll look forward to it so much Thank, right. Thanks Thank for you, sharing ladies. the kick butt recipes. We'll talk to you soon, John. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. This is food conversation that fits your life and an easy way to get your quick fix of culinary entertainment. I am especially proud of my alma mater, a graduate of the CIA, as we like to call it, the Culinary Institute of America. And I still follow all of the extraordinary manuals, the cookbooks, and the teachings of uh, my prideful education. And a new cookbook has just released that will wow you. It's all about the best of Mediterranean cooking. We're taking a guided tour of the Mediterranean with the Culinary Institute of America right now with Chef Lynn Giliotti. She is a professor at the CIA where she teaches European and Mediterranean cuisines for over 10 years now. And through Lynn, we are going to indulge in some ripe produce and nutty grains and fresh-caught seafood and the heart-healthy olive oil we all love. You can broaden your Mediterranean repertoire right now as Lynn joins us in your radio. We're very glad to have you, Chef. Thanks, Jamie. It's really great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. Welcome. One of the things that I think Lana and I most love about the Mediterranean cuisine is definitely the rich, wonderful flavors of France and Spain and uh, the Middle East all coming together. And I was hoping that you would give us a little bit of a synopsis of what you define as the Mediterranean, the regional influences to start us off. The thing that I love about Mediterranean cooking is that there are 21 countries in the Mediterranean basin. So there's really a lot to draw from. So, you know, we're talking about the Middle East and all the countries in the Middle East. We're talking about Northern Africa, Turkey, Greece, Spain, Italy, France. So, I mean, there's so much to do and so much to look at, so many ingredients. Pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. What is your favorite faro preparation? I've got one that I really like that is like a faro risotto. 
Mm-hmm. It's got red wine in it. It's got mushrooms in it. It's got tons of olive oil in it, mm. and and it's just delicious. Oh, love I love it. the love the it. mushrooms in there. Mm-hmm. I do too. And yeah, there's the a nice. fabulous recipe in your book for a farro with Brussels sprouts and balsamic. And I thought oh. that's not only a really wonderful side dish, but mm. it would make incredible leftovers for the next day. Mm-hmm. It could act as a vegetarian entree because we try to observe meatless Mondays so mm. as to give back mm-hmm. to the planet. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea that it could be any season and you could freshen it with the fresh vegetables from the farmer's market during summer as we come into fall. Mm. It could be hearty and comforting for winter. And for right now, for a summer picnic. Oh, perfect. Absolutely. I found a, a bevy of recipes, Chef, that we wanted to talk with you about and have you share um, from the book. And it starts on page five where you talk about improved broth or stock. I think it's really a fabulous tip for home cooks to realize that you needn't make your own stock made from bones if you don't have the mm-hmm. time, but you can make the store-bought better. And give us the Absolutely. lowdown, please. Well, sometimes the store-bought tastes like, you know, if it's been in a can for a while, it's going to taste a little bit like a can. So you have to put some fresh vegetables in it, some fresh aromatics. So just take some store-bought stock, simmer some fresh vegetables in it. And I would say add a little bit more water, too, to kind of lighten it up. Because mm-hmm. uh, generally the store-bought stocks are a little salty for, for my taste. Or you can make your own. And it's a, it's a simple thing to do. You know, if you have, if you've roasted a couple of chickens on Sunday night, take the carcass or the bones, and rather than throwing them away, throw them into a pot, put in a carrot, a stalk of celery, half of an onion, throw in some peppercorns. And while you're doing the dishes or preparing for dessert and the family is gathered around, let the stock simmer away. And you've made your own very simple stock or vegetable broth, right? Simply made from all the right. rest of the vegetable bin at the end of the week. Yeah, just save your scraps. And if you're not doing anything at night, throw a stock on while you're mm-hmm. doing whatever it is that you do at night and then, you know, cool it down and container it up and freeze it. Now you're getting the teachings of the CIA. And by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late because Chef Lynn Giliotti is here and we're dishing on Mediterranean Cooking, the new beautiful book that has just released with techniques all about the Mediterranean from the Culinary Institute of America. I was very intrigued by um, the influence of the French countryside in your recipe for a roasted garlic soup, Chef, with rosemary popcorn as the garnish. Lana, this is right mm-hmm. up your alley. Mm. It's got that creamy, silky <laughs> texture of the garlic soup, and then it's got uh, the, the popcorn as a textural garnish, as a crunch. Mm. Yeah, it's got a little crunch in it. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not completely traditional, but it tastes great. And after the Colombian exchange, there certainly was corn in uh, the Mediterranean basin. So it works, and it's really, really good. Mm. Whole and heads of garlic. Oh, I have lots of those. I think I'll make that today. Roasted and pureed into soup, I'm in. Yeah, that looks really good. The gnocchi fritti was right up our alley, too. I love that you like a traditional Italian gnocchi made with potatoes, right? But then you take it to the next level and you fry them. Sure, they're they're delicious. I mean, who doesn't love fried anything? Do you flour them first on the outside, or...? Uh, you don't have to. You oh. can just throw them in some olive oil and fry them. <gasps> oh. They're delicious. 
gnocchi is one of those techniques you can master, but once you've got it down pat, it's really simple. I mean, it's a handful of ingredients, you know, four or five at most. You can roll it into logs, as you suggest, and then cut them on the diagonal. Or if you really want to form the traditional gnocchi, you can buy the palette that allows you to do so. But it's far simpler and less daunting than you might think. The key to making good gnocchi is to make sure you cook the potatoes enough and don't overwork the dough. Once you're done mixing it, hands off. Yes, and and very important to keep them from being tough. I can't wait to make the Israeli couscous risotto that you share in the book with pumpkin and chanterelle mushrooms come fall. That is going to be my go-to dish. And I will gu- delicious. I'll guarantee credit you. Um, but Thank you. <laughs> leave us with this, Chef, if you would. A tutorial on olive oil poaching, because that is some glorious photo, the beauty of olive oil poached tuna Provencal. Yeah, the um, the nice thing about poaching fish in olive oil, and in this case tuna, is that the fish stays really nice and moist. A lot of times when you poach fish, it can become a little bit dry. And um, at this, this particular method of poaching fish, is, um, it keeps it really, really nice and moist. So you want to make sure the olive oil is between 160 and 180 degrees and keep it at a nice, soft, temperature and when it comes out it's incredibly moist that is truly the name of the game when it comes to a niçoise you can master the recipe if you indulge in mediterranean cooking from the culinary institute of america's new cookbook release it is by a professor of the cia lynn giliotti and it is made up of everything from moroccan tagines that are bursting with spices to the traditional italian pizza margarita north african couscous all the greek filo everything we love it's a delicious guide to the region yes that it is Mm. and we thank you for taking a a trip and a tour with us chef we look forward to having you you back on the radio again thank you so much okay that made me truly starving and i hope that we've satisfied your cravings this hour i thank you for listening you know if you've come to the end of the summer like uh, so many great cooks have and you've realized the bounty of tomatoes from your garden those beautiful specimens that just absolutely become abundant right at the end of the season and you're using uh wonderful you know tomatoes uh in all of the dishes but you can't find enough ways to use them up well we're all about putting them up so you'll find a fresh summer tomato soup recipe at chefjamie.com that freezes beautifully you could make like i don't know eight gallons of tomato sauce and freeze that too you can poach tomatoes stew tomatoes roast tomatoes you could even pickle the tomatoes that would be a great way to absolutely satisfy the season what a, a wonderful thought to sink your teeth into tomatoes fresh from the garden all year long i hope you find delicious inspiration to savor at chefjamie.com as we come into fall we're going to be talking about all the beautiful market produce like squash and apples and pears and sweet potatoes and cauliflower and oh i can't wait to start balsamic glazing squash roasted acorn squash all caramelized with that sweet tart glaze like the italians say agua dolce you'll stay tuned and listen every sunday right because we're sharing more fabulous recipes as the sunday's continue and Lana will be back with me here
there next Sunday. I can't wait. You'll also hear from Molly Katzen. She is truly the chef of Vegetarian Times, and she's written a new book called The Heart of the Plate. Plus, our resident pastry expert, Abby Dodge, will join us. To sift or not to sift the flour? That is the question. Until then, we're serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. Please join me at the table next Sunday for more delicious conversation and on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen. C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E-G-W-E-N. That's it. Chef Jamie Gwen. That's me. And until next Sunday, I am Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening, and I hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment.